1: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Health Hub. My name is Kathy Biasse, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to the show. Good morning,
2: Alex. Good morning, Kathy, and once again, good morning to our listeners.
1: Did you have a good week?
2: Yes, I did. I'm, I'm still, at this point, uh, traveling, uh, traveling by train every morning. So, again, I'm able to now, at this point, uh, wake up early enough to leave the house so well, and get, you're in before me time. all the time. So that's a good thing. <laughs> yes, it is. But the only downside is I tend to wake up at five o'clock on a Saturday and Sunday morning, which is not ideal. But uh,
1: Well, it actually is ideal if you want to get into the sciences
2: of it. Well, that that's a good <laughs> thing that I'm here then. <laughs> yeah. taking, taking this all in. Oh, we're not going to talk about that today. But actually, uh, actually this weekend, I uh, learned to make uh, uh, baked some chocolate chip cookies. From okay. the package? No, no, from from scratch. No, no, no. I I, I took care of it myself. <laughs> Very good. I had my KitchenAid to help me out. I,
1: I don't I don't see any here, so I guess you ate them all.
2: Uh, yeah, I I I brought them on Monday, and they vanished. Yeah, but I'm here but Tuesday, Alex. I'll work on that for next time.
1: Okay, no thanks, problem.
2: Thanks. <laughs> all right.
1: Our show today is live. You can call in at four one six two four five fifteen thirty four. Hit us up on all our social media websites. Um, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and our handle is at the Health Hub RMC. Feel free to email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. And please subscribe to our podcast. As you know, after our great shows on Tuesday, Alex flips them over into a podcast format. You can find them on iTunes, SoundCloud, all of your favorite podcast platforms, and you can also find them on our websites at radiomaria.ca and on my website at uh, www.kathybiasse.com. And if you like what you hear, please feel free to give us a positive review. It's a great reflection for our guests, and it uh, you know it really helps to promote them because we really have high-quality people, and you're going to meet two uh, again today, and have wonderful, wonderful information, and we cover such a broad range of topics. There's something for everybody. But let's get right into. Well, actually, I should tell you that Alex, um, our show last week with Dr. Robert Burns, the body clock and its role in basic and clinical cancer research, is getting a lot of play. It was an extremely interesting topic and something that um, a lot of people have had a lot of interest in. So we will continue on with other shows along the body clock. It's really something that I find fascinating. So, anyways, that is up for you to listen to. Do take a listen. Some fascinating, fascinating information uh, in that podcast. So today we. We are talking about changing conceptions of the mind and healing. You will recognize one of our guests, Dr. Annie Yassim, and along with Pana, P- P- Pamela Tinkum, sorry about that, Pamela, uh, we will be discussing how East meets West when we're talking about mind healing. So, with that in mind, I thought that we might dip our toe into some brain health. Neurotransmitters are chemical messengers that our bodies produce. They transmit signals from nerve cells, and they help to regulate functions in our bodies like digestion, heartbeat, breathing, sleep, and mood. There are many, many neurotransmitters, but perhaps one of the most readily known is serotonin for its role in promoting mood balancing, well-being, and happiness. Along with these uh, traits, serotonin also has other important functions, for instance, helping to control bowel function Help, uh, helping with wound healing and influencing our sleeping pattern. So obviously having adequate levels of serotonin is important to us. So let's quickly go over some ways to encourage the promotion of serotonin in our body. And I just want to take a step back here. Tryptophan is an amino acid and is a precursor to serotonin. So we're going to start with diet and I'm going to give you some foods that are high in tryptophan. Uh, to help promote the creation of serotonin in our body. And what I'm talking about is is foods that are higher in protein. So eggs, nuts and seeds, wild-caught salmon, as protein is fundamental for creating neurotransmitters. So including uh, foods like this are important for serotonin promotion. Also being good to your gut. The bulk of serotonin is produced in our gut, So eating a high-fiber food, I think that you probably know the spiel, high-fiber food, fermented foods, as well as getting adequate exercise, all play into supporting healthy levels of serotonin. And finally, eating healthy carbs is very important. Healthy, complex carbohydrates. Very important for healthy serotonin levels. Carbohydrates cause the release of insulin into our system, and this response promotes healthy levels of tryptophan in our blood. So just a little bit of brain health for you there, but do understand that what we eat, how we treat our gut, our lifestyle, all important to brain health. So let's get on to our two guests today. This is a new platform for us. So if you have um, any any inclination to call in, please do so early on in the show because it's a format that we're going we're gonna to have to introduce you into the show uh, with with the two guests. So here we go. Dr. Annie Asim is an award-winning, internationally recognized psychiatrist She's a keynote speaker and best-selling author of Fulfilled, How the Science of Spirituality Can Help You Live a Happier, More Meaningful Life. She, is a psychiatry pra- she has a psychiatry practice in Manhattan where she has helped over 1,000 patients. After working as a neurobiology researcher with Dr. Robert Sapolsky and completing her studies at Sanford University Yale Medical School and the NYU Psychiatric Residency Training Program, Dr. Yassim felt that something was missing from her life. And in her quest to find it, she traveled, lived, and worked in over 50 countries while studying Kabbalah, learning Buddhist meditation, and working with South American shamans and Indian gurus. She lives in Manhattan with her husband. Pamela Tinkham is a licensed clinical social worker, a certified yoga therapist, and a somatic experiencing practitioner. We will ask her about that for sure. She is author of Healing Trauma from the Inside Out, Practices from East and West, and is a yoga psychotherapist. She holds a master's degree in social work from Fordham University, where she graduated with honors and now has an adjunct teaching position and a Bachelor of Arts degree in dance <coughs> excuse me, from Butler University. She also holds national certifications from the Yoga Alliance, the American College of Sports Medicine, and the American Council on Exercise. She was certified as a Reiki Master in 2010. Pamela is licensed in Connecticut, New York, and Idaho and treats adolescents and adults with anxiety, depression, relationship issues, and trauma. She has a private practice in Stanford, Connecticut, and also works remotely via Skype, FaceTime, and Zoom wonderful, wonderful women that we're going to be speaking with. Do stay tuned. We will be back after this break.
3: You must, you must think I'm strong To give me a through, well forgive me, forgive me if I'm wrong, but this looks like more than I can do on my own.
0: are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi.
1: Welcome back everybody and welcome to the show Anna and Pamela. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank, thank you.
4: Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you so much for having us.
1: It's, it's a great platform for us um, to have both of you on the show. I think for uh, sake of continuity, uh, everybody, what I'll do is I'll try and direct questions to Pamela and Anna individually, even though a lot of the questions are going to cross paths. So ladies, feel free to jump in. Um, you know, and let's just make this a conversation about such an important, important topic. And what I want to start with, the common ground for both of you is that I think you feel that something is missing from traditional Western medicine that prevents us from truly healing. So uh, Pamela, maybe we'll start with you. What are your concepts on that thought?
4: Sure, absolutely. Yes, I think the traditional uh, Western medicine um, is very research and evidence-based, which is wonderful. Uh, But when you talk about the soul, the spirit, God, universe, whatever you want to call it, there's something else out there that might not be as um, as tangible um, scientifically, but it's very very important to many many people. And and in Western medicine, it's 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 missing. Um, we don't approach the subtle body, which is the energetic body. So we look at the organs and the the bones and the ligaments and the tendons and the muscles. Um, but we for, we forget or we don't acknowledge in Western medicine that there's a whole energetic body. Um, love, love is energy. God, God is energy. Where, where do we look at that with, with mental health? We're, we're not looking at it. So that's where uh, we come with the Eastern uh, philosophy, and that's, that's the soul, and that's the energetic body, and that's the subtle body, which is made of energy. Uh, and it's not as tangible, so it's not looked at. It's not even respected in a lot of the medical communities. So, um, so I hope that answers your question.
1: And then, and then uh, Anna, we enter the medical side from from your point of view. And um, Anna is a previous guest on our show, and we had a wonderful talk before. One of the things that I, I find um, Anna with you is you're broaching two very strong fields here, east and west. And how how did it come into your mindset that the medical side was not everything that it needed to be to help heal your patients?
5: Yeah. Um, For me, it was really a part of my own personal experience, and I had gone to all of this, you know, through academic education and schooling to learn about the brain and the mind and to better understand how to heal people. And in the midst of my own psychiatry training, I found myself encountering my own dark night of the soul. And here I was with all these healing tools under my belt, yet not knowing how to heal myself. And that led me on a journey to start to understand what are the facets of healing that perhaps I missed in my medical training? What are the parts of myself that I've been disconnected from that I haven't really been able to tap into here that's responsible for why I'm feeling what I'm feeling? And so it led me to ashrams in India, and learning about spiritual traditions all throughout the world, um, it led me to working with shamans in South Africa and South America, studying Kabbalah in Israel and in the United States, learning Buddhist meditation in Thailand, and in the midst of that, learning about all the different facets of healing that exist that my psychiatry training never really exposed me to. And so I started applying that to my own life and found it incredibly healing, and eventually started to use that also in my work with patients.
1: It, it's a very interesting concept. Now, um, Pamela, you and Anna, and you know, from, from speaking with you, and, and knowing your book, and knowing Anna's book, you have the same sort of paradigm, but you approach the healing in different ways. So, uh, and, and Correct me if I'm wrong In this. Anna, you are looking outward, looking um, to fulfill f- with spirituality. And Pamela, you are dealing with inward and knowing your body and somatic experiencing practitioner. That's what that's one of the, the labels that you have. So is am, do I have this right, Pamela? Are you are you going on a quest inward to try and heal?
4: Actually, it's, it's both. Um, but you, you are correct, somatic experiencing does turn inward, yoga, yoga therapy, yoga psychotherapy does turn inward towards um, towards the spirit, the soul, the viscera. Um, but in my practice, I definitely look at, um, so if we want to use God, God above, Um, God within community and God within the soul. That's from uh, Reb Avi Weiss had said that God above, God in community, God within, uh, God within, and that's the that's the piece that's usually missing is the God within. It's a Buddhist principle as well, the divine within. Um, So so I do in somatic experiencing. You asked about what that meant, and that's Peter Levine's work. It's a three-year credentials in trauma training, and uh, Peter Levine is the guru on um, somatic experiencing. But that is all about, yes, that trauma is stored within the body. Trauma meaning anything, it can be uh, capital T or small t trauma. Um, anything that compromises your nervous system is trauma. So, yes, um, we, we do go within the body to find the areas of dissonance to heal, and you must, in my experience, you must go within the body and have a body connection in order to heal those places. Um, But it is um, above, below. So in Kabbalah, the above is the God, the spirit, and below is the earth. And in the middle is the soul. Or in um, Hinduism, the chakras, the yellow, the solar plexus It's the third chakra. That's your power, your personal power, your confidence, your self-esteem. So we do, we, we want the above, think of an accordion, we want the above and the below to come together like an accordion and connect at the soul, at the spirit, at the solar plexus. If you think of a yellow uh, sunshine, that would be your solar plexus and that's your confidence and your personal power. So we, we actually, the holistic model um, that I use with the yoga and the somatic experiencing and then Western psychology with with Eastern philosophy is everything combined, mind, body, spirit completely um, one so it's not just within the body.
1: So patients and clients coming to you Pamela they're walking in with an understanding that all of these modalities you are working with for the betterment of the people that you're treating. Now Anna when someone walks into your clinical setting they may be a little bit surprised if you start introducing these Eastern concepts. Is that something that you've come across?
5: Yes, and you know, so my philosophy with treating patients is about meeting people where they're at. First and foremost, I am a psychiatrist and a physician, and so I meet people at that level. And most people know me as that, and it wasn't until my book came out that I really started publicizing more, that I have a spiritual approach. So a lot of people come to me really with no interest in spirituality, being very secular in their approach and but this is not to say that someone secular can't be spiritual. There's plenty of spiritual atheists because the way that I define spirituality is a connection to something greater than oneself. But when people come to me, it's really understanding their source of pain, helping them in whatever way to start to alleviate some of that pain, whether that be shifting mental processes, creating a safe space for them to truly be open and honest, encouraging their authenticity in their life. Or, if you know, and or when medically indicated psychiatric medications that could increase serotonin and things of that nature. And some people come now that I've written my book, they want more of a spiritual approach at the outset. And other people, they actually, you know, have no interest in that, and maybe over time, as our work progresses, their interest in a more spiritual and a more holistic approach deepens. So I've certainly had people become spiritual over the course and years of our work together. That's always a rewarding thing, but certainly not a precondition or an expectation of any of my treatments.
1: Well, Anna, with your with your belief in the power of spirituality, when you have a patient come into your office do you feel that without incorporating this, you can truly help them as much as they need to be helped? Is that a dilemma for you sometimes?
5: Well, I feel that if people are open to embracing a spiritual approach and are open to turning to something greater than oneself, however one defines that, whether that be God, the universe mother nature, uh, universal consciousness, a collective consciousness. If somebody is able to tap into that, that could aid healing. It could make healing progress more smoothly, faster, and be more complete. That being said, that's not the only way to heal, and people could have healing in all sorts of different ways, psychologically, pharmacologically. And if people are open to a spiritual approach, I love that. We can incorporate all the tools in our toolbox but I certainly can't put spirituality on somebody with whom it's not compatible. You know, it's not compatible with their belief system or they have no interest. So is that necessarily incompatible? Can we take people further with spirituality? Yes, but can we help people one way or the other? Absolutely. So it's really about meeting people where they're at and taking them as far as they are open and willing to go.
1: Okay. Interesting. Now, Pamela, um, as, as my conception is, people do understand that your approach to mental health will be incorporating different modalities. What do you feel is the most effective modality when you are dealing with your clients? And what, what, is, what is the most common thread that you see people walking in for your help? What is the thing that they're looking for the most?
4: So, Many people come in and they actually, uh, some of them might not even know about how holistic my approach is, um, depending on if they found me on Psychology Today. Sometimes they read the website, and I, I really try to keep everything very neutral to, um, to appeal to the masses. Um, the main thing people are coming in with is um, a stuckness in life. Um, many times if it's um, a mild depression or uh, stress or anxiety, Um, it's not a crisis, it's just sort of a flatness of, you know, Anna's book is fulfilled, I'm not fulfilled, you know, they don't feel that um, they're thriving in life, they're just sort of stuck in a, you know, a zone of feeling um, a little bit depressed, mildly mildly depressed, dysphymic, and so... Um, mainly they're coming in for hope that there's something that can help them feel more energized and a little bit more joyful. And, you know, many times it's just um, existential loneliness that people come in with um, that we all have that um, sometimes if you don't have someone to guide you or coach you or lead you into things that can be fulfilling in life, you know, that loneliness can really take over. So the common thread is that. It's not that they come in and expect any kind of yoga or um, meditation, um, but when they come in and they see the, the, the diagrams on my walls, which are the eastern um, chakra system, the subtle energetic system, which are the colors of the rainbow, so they'll see that. They'll see a diagram about somatic experiencing. They'll see a tree of life from Kabbalah. You know, when, I guess when they see the stuff on the walls, they know it's a more spiritual practice, and they might, the first few sessions, we might just talk. And then they might ask me, oh, well, what does that mean? And I wait, I kind of wait for an opening. Oh, well, those are the chakras in Eastern philosophy and Hinduism. And then we go into the meditative aspect, and then we can eventually go into some yoga stretching and breathing. But I definitely feel it out and make sure that they're comfortable with with those other modalities. And I do start with traditional Western medicine first.
1: So uh, both of you are common, it seems, in your thread of you're opening up this flower. And uh, bit by bit opening up, and I guess allowing people to lead you with what they're open to experiencing. Another common thread with the both of you is um, allowing people or or garnering people, leading people to sequestering their own power. And this is to me a a very vital, vital thing when it comes to mental health. We're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, we're going to start with that topic about the need for us to to harness our own power. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes, everybody.
0: a catholic voice wherever you are to contact us and be a part of the show please call 416-245-1534 we now continue with the program here once again is your host kathy Biasi.
1: Welcome back, everybody. You can still reach us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Health Hub RMC. We have had a couple of questions emailed in to us at THH at Radiomaria.ca. So, ladies, I think I want to start with a couple of questions, and I'm going to give one to each of you because I think one, is, uh, one has to do with medication, so I'm going to leave that one with you, Anna. But certainly on this question that I'm going to ask Pamela, if you want to wait in, feel free. Uh, the first email was, love the conversation. Is lack of spirituality causing the current mental health crisis? Pamela, do you want to weigh in on that one?
4: Lack of spirituality. Um, sure, sure. I think that there's a mental health crisis. I'm, I'm not certain that it's lack of spirituality, um, but there may be a lack of openness, just an openness to um, accept others as they are. Um, in yoga, there's a term, um, it's a long one in Sanskrit, "ishvar pranadahana, which means... Um, not judging ourselves or others. Um, and so it's really about taming the ego. Um, so that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be spiritual. It would be nice, and the spiritual concepts are, of course, of being the best human that you can be, right? So that is a spiritual concept. Um, but it could stop there, right? So, um, so if we had a more loving world, a more accepting world, Um, and we were not running from fear, but we were running from love, the conversation of love instead of fear, um, then yes, then it would be the world and the mental health (laughs) would, Mm -hmm. would be a much better place. Um, but that, that's not saying that everyone has to be spiritual. It's just really about being, um, a good human being. So, which is a part of spirituality for sure.
5: Now this, Uh,
1: sorry, go ahead, Anna.
5: Yeah, I was going to chime in and say that indeed, yes, there is kind of a, you can call it a spiritual slash existential crisis right now that is indeed leading to so much of our mental health issues and the increasing rates of suicide and all the addiction and the opiate crisis. And at the root of it, it's many things, but certainly one of them, it's a crisis of meaning, people feeling lack of meaning in their lives, people feeling lack of love in their lives, not really doing things that they find fulfilling, not being able to make a contribution that they find meaningful, and not having people with whom to share life. And the perfect kind of encapsulation of that is when you'll go out with 10 people for dinner and then you'll raise your head for a second and every single person's on their cell phone. You know, in a way we're more connected than we've ever been, yet we feel less connected from each other than we've ever felt. It's such a paradox as to what's happening and It's really one of the ways, one of the reasons that it's so important to reconnect both with ourselves, with our souls, and with the people closest to us.
1: Yeah, the social media topic keeps rearing its head when it comes to mental health, Um, and this is just something that popped into my head. You know, the two of you do are involved in obviously the Eastern way of dealing with mental health, but is there an Eastern crisis in mental health, or or has that part of the world? gotten by just nicely.
4: So, uh, this is Pamela. Hi. Uh, Well, the Eastern crisis in mental health, if you're bringing in the spirituality, there's something called spiritual bypassing. And I would say the only Eastern crisis is when um, you become so involved in your spirituality that you kind of, um, you get into almost almost an ego state of um, not recognizing what's going on on earth. Right, So you can get so tied up in the spiritual realm that you're not embodied in the physical realm, and that can cause a crisis because then that can cause all kinds of um, spiritual unawareness and spiritual conflicts and um, where gurus become maybe ego-driven instead of um, love-driven. Um, so there is a definite... Um, there is an issue in that aspect as well if you are so spiritual and you haven't done with, um, dealt with excuse me, your psychological issues that are underneath. If you're just praying and you're just chanting and you're just doing yoga and you're just working on meditation and you're not embodied and you haven't done the psychological work, there's a definite crisis there. You're not going to get mentally healthy. Um, you're going to spiritually bypass some of the very, very important issues that need to be dealt with in the body.
1: What an interesting concept. I've never heard of that before. That's, that's quite uh, quite interesting. Um, now let's get to the second question before we get on to the, the heady topic of power. Um, Anna, I would think this is more up your alley. Do you believe in medication?
5: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm not pro-medication or anti-medication. I'm pro-healing, and medication is one of the many powerful tools we have in our toolbox. So when a patient comes to me, um, I ask them, you know, what is it, what is your source of pain and what is it that you want to heal? And usually, if someone isn't severely manic or severely depressed or acutely schizophrenic, it's very much their choice as to whether they themselves want to use a medication for healing, if indeed it's medically indicated. If a person is very, very sick and if, you know, they, for instance, are floridly psychotic, acutely manic. In those cases, usually medication is my first go-to. And prior to working with other tools, things that are emotional, psychological, mental, etc., first we have to stabilize the person with some sort of medication before we can start doing the other work and help them connect spiritually. But usually the majority of patients that come to me, it's very much their choice. So like I said before, I'm not Pro or anti-meds, I'm pro-healing, and
4: medication is indeed a powerful tool in our toolbox.
1: Okay, well answered. Um, I, yep, uh, go ahead, Pamela.
4: So I just wanted to say um, chapter one in my book is from, uh, from 9-11 to therapy, and so I was down at the towers at, um, during 9-11 running for my life. So I am, I, again, I'm, I agree with Anna 100%, but I had PTSD from my 9-11 experience and going through a divorce at the same time, and so for me... Medication was indicated um, as a, on a temporary basis, but it really I I believe that no matter how much therapy I had at that time, um, medication was definitely indicated to get me through that um, emotional crisis and then the flashbacks and the dreams and the exaggerated startle response because of the sound of the towers imploding. Anytime I heard a sound of a firework, I could jump you know under a table. Right. So so medication was indicated and um, and so I really. Clients that come in that are anti-medication, I really sometimes share with them that, you know what, sometimes it's okay if your therapist has temporarily done it. It's okay, and I don't want people to have shame around it either um, because it is out there for a reason, and it can be helpful in the healing process, and you can get off the medication um, at a future date. Uh, But it's definitely something to add to the mix, especially with severe PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder.
5: Yes, and you know, just to add to what is saying, indeed, it's so sad that there is such a stigma oftentimes because I have seen medication change people's lives completely. And so in my practice as a psychiatrist, having seen over 1,000 patients, about half of the patients I treat are on some form of medication or have been. And that 50% is actually a relatively low number for a psychiatrist. But I've certainly seen a lot of cases, whether it's been more severe or by choice of the patient, where the medications have enabled patients a greater level of freedom than they have had in years. And to give you a statistic to um, follow up on that, the average person will have a certain set of symptoms for six years, before they actually seek help. This is six years of potentially unnecessary suffering. That's a lot of suffering. And sometimes it's as easy as starting a medication and really seeing the symptom lift. Or sometimes it's starting a medication and over time having more freedom to be able to have more mental control over some of the symptoms if the symptoms are obsessions and things of that nature. So that gives a little bit, you know, following up on what Pam said, a little bit of a context for that.
1: I, I really like that you both have explained it this way because um, I am – an integrative practitioner myself. And sometimes when we talk about, for whatever reason, when we talk about integrating of East and West, it can be very dividing and people can go down two very different pathways fighting for one or the other. And we have wonderful, wonderful things in Eastern medicine and wonderful, wonderful things in Western medicine. And I think not to integrate them is a disservice. And that's not just talking about mental health, I'm talking about all areas of health. And I think it's very important that we have two, two very distinct practitioners that are finding that common ground in this area. I don't think it's a question of one is better than the other. And as you both have said, I think what is important to understand is meeting the person where they are. And there should not be a stigma with medication. No matter, You know, some people I think, I don't know if you women get this either, but some people think that not taking medication is a sign of strength. Um, and that's not necessarily the case, I don't believe personally, but that's my own tangent. Um,
5: yeah, indeed. And, you know, by virtue of that, upholding precisely that belief, I've had a lot of people, they have papered off medication very quickly, thinking, you know, I'm done with this. I just want to, I want to be done. I want to, I want to, you know, harness my power more. And it's a wonderful thing when people are ready for that next stage. But to take that next step and get off medications out of stigma or fear, that often leads to a crash, and I've certainly seen that too. So it's really about, you know, listening to yourself and working with somebody that you trust to enable your optimal functionality with or without medication and bringing in other tools if indeed your goal is to get off medication. I have lots of patients who want to get off meds, and I love working with them, and we do it successfully. But you have to do it carefully, and you have to do it in a way that really, you know, caters to what the patient needs, and everyone's unique in that way.
3: So and
4: um, the comes from admitting being able to admit to someone that you need help and that everything, all the psychological modalities and theories are not working, you know, to say I, this isn't working and I need more help and maybe, you know, courage really comes from asking for an additional something or other. You know, maybe there's something that, that can assist the therapy and the meditation and the yoga and it's all, you know, the med- so, so really it's not to, to negate the stigma about medication it takes courage to come out and say, I'm still in pain. I need something else. You know, what can you do for me? Or what do I need? What, what can that be?
1: Well, this plays Pamela into your idea of really looking inward as well, because we're not looking inward just for, you know, esoteric things, but also looking inward. Uh, and maybe, you know, I don't want to speak for you, is, is discovering that within you is discovering that there are things that you need. And you have to own up to that is that all part of understanding yourself and diving in and understanding your psyche?
4: Yes, so the psyche um, so you when you turn inward, I mean just think about being in a silence, how many people don't like silence and how busy we are on cell phones and how we just never slow down right but it's the um, Dr. Wayne Dyer said it's the gap between the thoughts getting into the gap, right, so it's that space between the thoughts between your words, if you can get into a space where there's a nothingness, okay, that place is very, very scary. So that is um, when you can do that on the inside, your viscera. We're talking about your spirit, right? So your spirit's on the inside, your viscera. When you can get into that gap, uh, for some people it is so scary, it will actually push them to need medication, so you have to titrate it. This is uh, part of the work of Peter Levine the somatic experiencing, you need to titrate it very, very slowly um, as you go inside um, to discover what's going on in the body, um, in, in the viscera. You know, it's like when they say you have a gut feeling. Um, that's very, very real. It's, there's an energy inside, and sometimes facing those inner demons um, can be very, very scary. So, titration is just facing it. I like to say in my book, um, one grain of sand at a time. So, we go, that's how slow we go. And this can take a very long time. Some people want to dive in and have a catharsis and, and be in a screaming cry. And that, that's not necessarily helpful or healthy with um, dealing with trauma, for instance. Um, we titrate in slowly and touch on those areas within, but yes, going within and being in the silences will help you to heal over time
1: mm-hmm. Facing your fears is not just an easy an easy saying, is it it 's something that we really some people you know and I guess the different levels of trauma I mean each person is so individual and how, how the same you know Emily, you were talking about nine eleven how you react versus the person beside you running away from the incident can be two totally, totally different things, how, how that is handled. So uh, I can't believe that there's any other way but going individually with these people, So which makes both of your practices so um, awe-inspiring because you're not dealing in simple protocols that you are just dishing out. You really have to take the time and get to know these people, and I think it's a wonderful thing. Now, something that both of you speak very, very highly of is harnessing power. So maybe, um, Pamela, will start with you. What do you mean with that harnessing power?
4: So harnessing power is being able to stand in your own skin and be comfortable and genuine. So that's really your power is when you don't have to have a social mask on and pretend that you're something that you're not. Um, the power comes from accepting all parts of yourself, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, so when we, do, when we deal with the chakra system, which is the energetic system, um, that the third chakra is yellow, as I talked to, about before. But this is our power center. And so when um, a client is open to doing some yoga, the warrior sequence in yoga, warrior one, warrior two, warrior three, it's called virabhadrasana in Sanskrit, um, these warrior poses can help you harness your personal power and step into your own skin and feel the word embodied, fully embodied in who you are. Um, Many people don't really, uh, are not aware of who they are in all aspects because they push a side of them that they don't like so much, they'll push it away, they'll repress it. Um, And then also someone, if they meet a person that mirrors a part of them that they don't like, then they won't like that person and they won't get close. Instead of saying, oh, that person's triggering something in me, why don 't I like that person? what's going on inside my body that makes me dislike that person? What is it about that person? What is the mirror? What is it? What issue is it bringing up in me right? And then tackling it from that way can actually help us harness our personal power because we may say, oh they are um, that person's greedy okay well where Where in myself am I greedy? Where in my life am I greedy? And when we can admit to ourselves, you know what? Okay, so there's a part of me that's greedy. That's not all of me. I'm a very good person. But yes, there's part of me that might be a little bit at times. When we can harness all parts of ourselves and accept and love all parts of ourselves, that is the basis of our personal power.
1: Anna, what's your your take on that?
4: Yes, and I, I love Pamela's
5: take, and I love that it encompasses Authenticity and courage, and connecting to the deepest part of yourself. And I would add a few things to that. One is harnessing our personal power means relinquishing victim mentality and asking ourselves, "In what parts of my life do I see myself as a victim?" Now, it's not to say that there haven't indeed been indeed been times in your life where you have indeed been victimized. That happens to people. It's a reality. But having had experiences of being a victim and holding on to a victim mentality are very, very different things. And I try to work with patients to understand where they could be trapped in a victim mentality and help them to take responsibility for whatever part of that they can take responsibility for and to be able to release whatever anger, resentment they hold towards the so-called perpetrator. So another important part of that, therefore, is cultivating forgiveness. And forgiveness, people think, you know, it's just as easy as one, two, three, no. Forgiveness is actually one of the most difficult processes that you in your lifetime will ever undertake if you're doing it authentically and if you're doing it right. It's really looking within yourself and seeing what you're able to release, what you're able to let go, and how you could free yourself from the anger the resentment, the rage that you've been carrying in your heart often for years, whatever grudges that you've been um, carrying. And at the highest level of consciousness, if we're able to release all victim mentality and to forgive anybody and everybody, the person who most benefits isn't the person who's being forgiven. It's actually us. Some people, you know, have the metaphor that holding grudges, is like drinking poison and hoping that the other person's going to die. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so important to practice cultivating forgiveness to be able to let go of what we hold in our side, inside us. It's us who hold on to that poison until we're able to let go and forgive.
1: That's a lovely thought. Um, are we, then, when it comes to forgiveness and and turning over power, are, have, do we have the power and we've let it go? Or are we trying to build up power? Have we handed over power to people? Is that, is that the concept of forgiveness? Is that how we get our power back? Or have we, are we building up new power? How does that approach work with you? Are we recapturing?
5: Absolutely. And I think it's both. And whenever we externalize our power to a person, to an object, that's you know, looking for the source of our power outside of ourselves, which people can do by being stuck as victims. People can feel that they are victims of, you know, a difficult childhood or an unjust world or a bad boss, and they can hold on to that victim mentality until the time that it becomes their identity, that it begins to really define them. Or, you know, a spouse can be a victim of infidelity and that could define her, things of that nature. And it's not to say that those things aren't difficult. They very much are. And often that's why people will come to see me in my practice. But it's being able to start to own not necessarily what happened because that wasn't our fault or our responsibility often, but it is our responsibility to heal it. It's our responsibility now to take to, take ownership of where it is that we are And what it is that is going on in our lives. And to start to work to cultivate the new power, just like you said, to rise above that. And to find strength in parts of us, either that we never knew existed or that was always there, but we just hadn't tapped into it yet.
1: So, Pamela, do you find with people that come in to see you, you are educating them on this, that they had no idea that they had lost their power?
4: So... Yes, um, I definitely agree, and I think that in my experience in my practice, n- not everybody's ready um, for forgiveness. Um, many, many times uh, people I've worked with ha- have come in and they're they're not even close to getting to forgiveness, so we talk about acceptance um, and there's a very good paragraph in uh, in the book the Big Book for Alcoholics Anonymous about acceptance um, and I also have it republished in my book but um so anyway, so um, that acceptance is, is really, w- acceptance is, is gives us freedom, okay? Acceptance will give us freedom. So not accepting that someone was, um, it was okay for someone to hurt us, right? Um, but accepting that it happened, it did happen, okay, I accept it, and now that was in the past and really separating the past from the present. Okay, that happened, it was in the past, I accept it, and I let it go. And now living in the present moment Um, especially, and forgiveness and love, that is just, you know, a huge concept, and if we can get to that, yes, that is the main, main healing um, for humanity, Uh, but not everybody is is close to that, and so I start with acceptance with people, Um, and it's a little uh, softer um, for them, for the people I've worked with who've had sexual abuse and, um, you know, domestic violence and other things that are horrific um yeah if we accept okay it happened and it happened then and it was a long time ago i was eight years old and now i'm 32 or however old they are and now now i'm okay and now i'm safe and now i'm healed and now i'm peaceful and just separating that and we can work on the forgiveness concept over time um
1: but it's a process and you're meeting people, where, and it's a process, and you're meeting people exactly what you said. You're meeting people where they are. So it's uh, right. It's wonderful. Uh, ladies, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Two very strong, powerful women uh, making a huge difference in the world. And in this realm of, of mental health crisis, you know, I want to thank you for what you're doing. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Um, Anna, your book is called Fulfilled, How the Science of Spirituality Can Help You Live a Happier, More Meaningful Life. Pamela, your book is called Healing Trauma from the Inside Out, Practices from East and West. Ladies, if you'd like to give us your uh, best social links where people can reach you, um, that would be awesome. So if you could, we just, uh, we won't do the tip of the day. I think that uh, the whole show has been full of tips and I, I don't want to, uh, to run over our time. Pamela um, and Anna, I'd like to give you a couple of minutes to, to get, let everybody know where to get your book and your social media. So uh, Pamela, let's start with you.
4: Okay, so I'm on all social media, and the main page of my website at tinkum.com has all the links to social media. Um, if you want to email me, if you have any questions about this, it's my name, Tinkum at gmail.com, um, and I'm happy to continue, continue the conversation, and thank you so much for having me on the show. Well,
1: thank you. Anna, go ahead.
5: Sure, and my website is www.annayusum.com which is A-N-N-A, Y as in yoga, U, S as in Sam, I, M as in Mary, dot com. And I'm also on all the different social media channels. And my book is available on Amazon, on my website, and anywhere else that books are sold.
1: Thank you very much, ladies. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been wonderful talking to you, very enlightening. Everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. Thanks.